0: Hello, and welcome back to the Unmasking the Abuser podcast. We're now at episode 18. I'm your host, Dr. Dina McMillan. I'm a social psychologist, a relationship expert, and a domestic violence expert. I'm also the author of a book on abuser's early manipulation tactics called, But He Says He Loves Me. Today's episode is named Secrets and Lies for reasons that are going to be obvious soon. And that's not all we'll discuss today. At the end of the last episode, I promised we'd talk about how to restart your life, even have a new relationship after you've been hurt. How do you rebuild your self-confidence? And importantly, how do you avoid repeating your mistakes? That fits in well with something else I want to discuss today. I've mentioned before that I'm writing a follow-up book to Buddy Says He Loves Me, adapted to fit the cultural norms of Black American women. I'm getting some invaluable help from University of Washington professor Carolyn M. West. The reason for the book is due to the extraordinarily high rates of serious domestic violence and intimate partner homicide experienced by Black women in America, the highest rates in the country. The risk for Black women is extreme, and yet not really centered in any of the movements and protests that have been the focus of so much recent publicity. If you're black, if you work alongside any black women, or if you have friends who are black women, the book will share invaluable insights. You know that old saying about walking a mile in someone else's shoes as a way to increase your empathy and your understanding? This book will help you do that. Like the original book, But He Says He Loves Me, this one will have two streams of information, one running down the left-hand pages and the other running down the right. The left-hand pages will offer some insights, key tips, further references, and important notes by Dr. West and myself. All of that will be linked and relevant to what you're reading on the right-hand pages. The right-hand pages will have a sliding doors style story about a young educated black woman named Tamika Taylor. She comes from a working class background in Philadelphia and worked hard to put herself through college. She's now starting her professional career and meets a new man who turns out to be an abuser. The sliding doors aspect happens as we follow the choices and decisions Tamika makes as she gets involved with this man. The other road is followed by Tammy, which is Tamika's work nickname, as she makes different choices. Now, have you ever written fiction? Even if it's designed to bring out specific points like this one, you find that once you start writing, the people in the story take on a life of their own. They have personalities and quirks that you didn't plan for when you did the basic outline. In our case, one strong sliding doors issue that arises for Tamika slash Tammy has to do with secrecy. She's shown realistically making very different choices and having completely different outcomes, all pivoting and flowing on from her decision to keep her involvement with this new man, a secret. I hadn't planned it out this way, but when I was writing this story, it made sense. It's something I've seen and heard countless times from victims and survivors of abuse. When I've asked them to share details about the earliest days in their abusive relationships, almost all had some sort of secrecy as a factor in some way. Sometimes they kept their entire relationship a secret. At other times, there were sexual behaviors being demanded by the abuser that made their victim uncomfortable, demeaned her, or even traumatized her so that she felt too ashamed to share the information of what was going on with anyone else. There were often factors in the abuser's background that he kept secret at first, and the victim kept secret when she found out either through circumstances or because the abuser revealed these things to her. In most cases, the victim then decides not to share this information with her nearest and dearest, sometimes at the strict instruction of the abuser. A lot of the factors that the abuser would hide includes things like criminal convictions, Overwhelming amounts of debt, unemployment, a large number of failed committed relationships, and even a background of violence and intimate partner violence. Abusers often pass on information to their targets at the beginning of the relationship that they will claim is a secret. Like pedophiles do when they're grooming, Abusers are fully aware that keeping secrets with someone builds and reinforces a strong bond. It makes their target feel special and trusted to be given these gems. It opens the target's heart and makes her feel closer and more protective of the abuser. Sharing a secret with someone can release pleasure hormones, the endorphins, dopamine, oxytocin, and serotonin, the same hormones that give people such a rush when they're having an affair. With an affair, these hormones flow due to the risk of getting caught, the shared furtive activities, the trust and closeness that are created by doing something or knowing something that other people don't. As you can imagine, these same factors exist in an abusive relationship when the victim isn't telling anyone what's really going on. In a strange way, secrecy can add to the sparkle and the pleasure of a relationship. It reinforces that you-and-me-against-the-world mindset that's a key tactic used by many abusers to take over their victim's life. Secrecy can also reinforce the shame. When whatever's being kept secret is something embarrassing or demeaning or awful, not being able to tell anyone can make the trauma worse. It can urge the person keeping the secret to blame themselves. It can make them try to find ways to mentally redefine what's happening so they can still function without falling apart. This means mentally rationalizing the harm. Repressing it, trying to accept it, or even redefining it as something positive. What about abusive relationships that are fully out in the open? Well, abusers don't just push boundaries during the earliest testing and training phase. They enjoy pushing their victims' personal boundaries throughout the relationship and getting their victims to do things that make her feel uncomfortable and dirty and wrong, and embarrassed. Embarrassment is an underrated tool of control and manipulation. When a victim is embarrassed, it's likely she will keep whatever's happening and how she feels about it a secret, even from those who love her most and are closest to her emotionally. Getting their victim to submit to these uncomfortable behaviors makes the abuser feel powerful. And that power is not an illusion. Someone getting you to do things you dislike or hate or that hurt you and then keeping this all a secret does grant the abuser a lot of power over you. Your brain understands this even if you won't admit it to yourself. Without giving too much away, in the new Buddy Says He Loves Me, Tamika has built up support even before she meets the new guy, Andre. As someone who's had a physically, emotionally, and psychologically abusive relationship in her past, she's determined not to make the same mistakes again. Then Tamika makes a mistake. She finds rationalizations for not telling anyone about Andre. She's worried they'll get too involved or tell her what to do, or blame her if the relationship doesn't work. Her rationalizations are realistic and understandable, and they're a huge mistake. Even when she admits she's seeing this guy, she's far more involved with him than she lets on. She continues to hide the relationship completely from one of her sources of support, pretending she's not seeing anyone, so she doesn't have to look closely at this new man. Tammy, her parallel self, changes her mind and decides to tell her support system from the beginning about the new guy, Andre. She realizes she doesn't necessarily have to listen to the advice if she doesn't want to. The decision not to hide him and what's happening with him also cascades into a whole new set of choices that protect Tammy in a way that Tamika doesn't get. Of course, there's something important that's linked with secrecy, tied to it so tightly, you can't get one without the other. Wherever you have secrets, you also have lies. Sometimes the lies are only lies of omission, where important information isn't shared keeping other people under the illusion that nothing has changed or that all the key facts of a situation have already been disclosed. Soon, however, those lies of omission are followed by explicit lies, untruths or half-truths, saying anything to avoid letting the cat out of the bag or facing possible disapproval or Other repercussions because of the behavior being kept secret. Lies of all kinds result in lies to ourselves. Have you ever told a lie so often that you begin to believe it? It could be about something fairly harmless or it could be something major and important. Either way, you've shaped a fiction around it that's so convincing, you may even forget yourself that it isn't true. When we lie, though, whether outright or by omission, we build a protective boundary around it so we can keep from being punished for the lie. We avoid people who can get the truth out of us. We avoid situations where the lie may come to light. We don't look at or read anything that could show us the destructive consequences that may result from this deception. Soon, We become practiced at avoiding anything that makes us feel emotionally uncomfortable, not just the initial secret that started the process. We tell ourselves we have valid reasons for doing what we're doing, and we close our eyes and ears to anything that would expose the cracks in that logic. We begin to fall into denial, the definition of which is easy to remember thanks to poetic license and some insight by Professor Carolyn West. She turns denial into an acronym that stands for don't even know I'm lying. And yes, we both understand the word no as we're using it has a K at the beginning. That's where the poetic license comes in. I'm all for any tool that makes crucial information easier to remember. Denial is the process of deceiving ourselves about what we've done, what we intend to do, and the rightness of our actions. In the new version of But He Says He Loves Me, not revealing her relationship with Andre and allowing it to become far more serious without getting any feedback from other people leaves Tamika very vulnerable. Abusers of all colors, shapes, and sizes are intense and move quickly. These two things are their most reliable warning signs. They don't want to give their target a chance to breathe or to fully digest what's happening or to really think over how she feels about him and the relationship. Getting involved with an abuser is like immersing yourself in slime, where it covers your eyes and changes the color of everything you see. It's sticky and pliable and very hard to remove. That leads us to what I promised for today. In addition to this critical talk about secrets and lies, we're going to discuss a bit about how to move on when you've been in a relationship that's left you emotionally battered and bruised, even if it wasn't abusive. How do you start over? And importantly, how do you keep from making the same mistakes? In the book I've been discussing, I have Tamika come across some women who've started an Unmasking the Abuser Support Group, like I've mentioned in this podcast series. It's a group of women who meet once a week or so to discuss the information shared on the podcast, as well as any relevant information from their experiences. These Unmasking the Abuser support groups aren't intended to be a traditional survivor's group where everyone in the group has been abused and participants get together to detail what they've gone through. There's certainly a place for groups like those, but this is different. An Unmasking the Abuser support group should have women of all ages and backgrounds. It should include women who've been abused, women who haven't been abused and never want to be, and women who are parents and want to protect their children. The discussions should center around the podcasts and the information shared in my books and workshops. They're about the specific strategies and tactics used by abusers. These groups are all about building your new superpower, making everyone in the group highly skilled in spotting abusers, whether they come across them romantically, professionally, or in their friendship groups. A few conditions here. In an unmasking the abuser support group, no one should be judged. Everyone still has final say on what they do about their personal situation and any new potential romantic partner should be discussed as soon as you start seeing them. In addition, no one is allowed to order anyone else around, so there's no harm in fully sharing. The secrecy and lies that we were discussing in this podcast are to be avoided at all costs. When we're attracted to someone, objectivity becomes faulty. Our hormones and pheromones do a little dance, and our rational mind takes a back seat. Discussing any new person fully and honestly can help you stay alert to warning signs that you may otherwise overlook or undervalue when you're admiring his gorgeous smile or his witty comments. Seeing a warning sign at its earliest stages means investigate further. It doesn't mean run away, unless the guy was convicted for grievous bodily harm or sexual assault. Otherwise, you should stand back and try to find anything else to either confirm your fears or dispel them. The other group members can help you come up with questions or situations you can suggest that won't put him off or make you seem too harsh. Some ways include meeting his friends and family or spending some time alone and asking yourself, if this guy were someone a friend was dating, what would I think? I ask you to do this because we're often quite astute when it comes to picking up warning signs in other people's relationships. You also need to get enough time away to examine how you feel. Many abusers contact their new targets constantly. They marathon them, making every interaction last as long as possible and talking with them late into the night. This creates artificial intimacy, something we've discussed before. Artificial intimacy creates feelings that you know this person well and you've known each other for a long time. But it's an illusion. It's a mirage. It can encourage you to move too fast, reveal too much information when it's too soon in the relationship or inappropriate at any stage. It can get you to make future plans or accept gifts that are really bribes. You need to take some time to turn off the phone, relax and ask yourself how you feel about this guy not the bright future he's promising or the gifts he's trying to give you that I hope you're too savvy now to accept. Him. Do you like him? Are you attracted to him? Or are you seeing him because he's attracted to you? Do you respect him? Does he like and respect you? Is he measured in his approach or flattering you too much or criticizing you too much? If this same guy didn't flatter you, promise you anything, or buy you anything, would you still want to be with him? Do you feel you can be honest in your responses if he criticizes you, or your beliefs, or your background? Or are you already too worried that any reaction from you other than acceptance is going to result in anger and perhaps rejection? Really be wary of criticism, mean comparisons, mockery of your beliefs or tastes. Watch out for moving too fast. Be on the lookout for intensity, where he goes from not in your life to all over your life in one fell swoop. Stay alert and keep spending time with other people. Speaking of other people, The support group can also do a few other things. It can help you remain a bit emotionally distant until you can be more sure about the kind of person you're getting involved with. Talk is cheap and many abusers are practiced manipulators. They know how to say things and do things that make their target's heart race and feel like she's hit the jackpot. Don't buy it. If he's really your soulmate, Playing it safe won't hurt anything. In fact, it will probably strengthen his attraction to you as men don't value what comes too easily for them. Another benefit of the support group is you'll be dealing with other women who know the tactics and strategies of abusers. I've mentioned more than once that I've been approached by women who've taken my seminars or workshops or read my book and followed the key instructions closely. When they rejected someone who had too many warning signs, they were then criticized by friends and family. They were told they're too picky or overreacting or that they're forgetting their biological clock is ticking. They'd come back to me asking how to handle the pressure of loved ones trying to get them to forget what they've learned and Unmasking the Abuser Support Group can help with this. You'll be able to take a deep breath and know the other women there are also playing it safe. No one will call you neurotic or a man-hater or any of the other judgmental names you'll hear outside. And since most of us are becoming far more comfortable with virtual contact, you can even arrange to meet online on one of the group Or team platforms. You're listening to the Unmasking the Abuser podcast with Dr. Dina McMillan. Now let's chat a little bit about how to get back into the romance game after you've been badly burnt. Let me give you a few tips. If you want to talk more about this, or if you have some suggestions that I'm not including, please contact me at unmaskingpodcast at gmail.com. That's unmaskingpodcast, all one word, at gmail.com. Here's my best short list of the best suggestions for getting confidently back into the romance game without repeating your mistakes. First, Really consider what you did wrong in the past. This time, don't focus on his issues. This is all about you. If you have someone close to you who can give you honest answers, ask them too. What did you do that led to the problems? If you have issues that contributed to the problems, have you done any work to fix your issues? Second. Honestly ask yourself, did you get emotionally involved too quickly? I repeatedly draw attention to this because it's key. No matter how attractive you find someone, keep your distance until you know what you're getting. That includes sexual behavior too. We don't get to choose when oxytocin, the bonding hormone, will flood our system. It can drive us to fall in love with someone who's completely a mismatch. Protect yourself by waiting. Third, don't be lonely. I admit that's a strange one, isn't it? But loneliness can be a big factor in becoming involved with the wrong person. Do whatever you can to build friendships and have social activities. You don't know many people you want to hang out with? Well, here's a way. Volunteer. Or get one of those apps like Meetup that offers events for people with similar tastes and backgrounds. No pressure for any kind of relationship. Speaking of relationships, fourth, don't collapse yourself into a new relationship. When you find someone new, don't see him all the time. Continue with your social activities or even spend some time alone. You need to be able to have space to consider the other person and your feelings. That won't happen if you're around each other constantly. And by the way, when I say around each other, that includes having him text, direct message, video conference, etc. There needs to be time that you spend with other people and that you're not in contact with the new guy. Fifth, Avoid getting romantically involved with someone when you're going through a crisis. There are too many bad people or men you just aren't attracted to who are going to try to pull you in by presenting themselves as either a rescuer or a shoulder to cry on. Get involved with them though and realize they'll have a vested interest in keeping you off balance. They'll try to make sure you never get a chance to reconsider whether you want to be with them or not. Find support to get through the hard times. Make new friends. Stay single. Sixth, forgive yourself. Don't continue to blame yourself for your past mistakes. At the same time, don't tell yourself you're a better person because you went through a lot. That kind of rationalization will encourage you to turn off your brain when you meet someone new. Hold yourself responsible for your choices, but truly forgive yourself for any bad decisions in the past. Today is a new day. Seventh, be cautious about friends or family who encourage you to forget your new superpower and get involved with someone you didn't choose, don't like, or don't feel any attraction towards. Be strong and decide for yourself. Now, get out there. Your new love, your better love is waiting. Are you all set? Good. Now, next time, I'm going to throw the gauntlet out to my listeners. Is there anything you want to know about personal relationships? Is there something we've discussed that you want to talk about in more depth. Contact me at unmaskingpodcast at gmail.com with your questions, comments, and suggestions. My goal is to add to your superpower, not only to give you x-ray vision when it comes to abusers, but also give you the confidence to craft a wonderful relationship together with someone who deserves your trust and your devotion. I hope you'll join me next time. Thank you for listening. I'm Dr. Dina McMillan.